The following recording is a presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California, and of Pastor Val Mark Smith. We are an independent Baptist congregation committed to the accurate presentation of the historical doctrines of the faith. We welcome your visit to our services anytime here in the Rohnert Park area. All right, let's take our Bibles now, if you would please, and open them to Acts chapter 19. And this evening we're continuing our study on the subject of who is the Holy Spirit. And I've been using Acts 19 as sort of a jumping off point to get us into our study on the Holy Spirit. So if you'll look in Acts chapter 19, I don't want to read the full text this evening, but instead of verses 1 through 6, we're just going to pick up verses 1 and 2. And I want you to see the question that's asked and the answer that is given in this verse, in verse number 2. Verse 1 says, And it came to pass that while, the, while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul, having passed through the upper coast, came to Ephesus, and finding certain disciples, he said unto them, Have ye received the Holy Ghost since ye believed? And they said unto him, We have not so much as heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. Now, our main point of discussion is verse number 2, where Paul asked these disciples in Ephesus, Did you receive the Holy Ghost when you believed? And their reply to that question was, We didn't even know. Or essentially they're saying, We didn't even know that there was a Holy Ghost. Now, that seems a little bit strange to us, uh, but we've discussed previously that these disciples were not ignorant of the existence of the Holy Spirit, but what they didn't know was the way that the Holy Spirit had come to work in a very special way since Jesus left the world and promised to send him into the world to be with us. Now, the question that we're trying to answer here is, who, who is the Holy Spirit? What is his work? What is his work in a Christian? Why is what the Holy Spirit does so vital to our Christian lives? Now, this is the fifth message on this subject, and since we've covered so much material, I can't go back to the very beginning. So you'll notice on your listening sheet tonight that we're actually starting with uh, number three in the outline, and this is, the Holy Spirit is God's agent. When God works in the world, he works through the agency of the Holy Spirit. Or God's presence is felt in the world today through the work of the Spirit, so that we don't say that the Father is in the world today, because uh, properly speaking, the Father directs his activity from heaven. We don't say that Jesus Christ is in the world today. He came to the world, he was born, he became incarnate, he died for our sins, and he was buried, put in the tomb, then he arose from the grave, he ascended back to the Father, and now he is at the right hand of God. But the Holy Spirit is the person of the Godhead that's in the world who is active in the lives of believers. And that might seem a little bit confusing to us at first because we understand or we believe that God is a trinity. So how can we say that God the Father, Jesus Christ, and and the Holy Spirit are all in the world today because God is a trinity? Well, there would be a sense, of course, in which they are. But when we talk about the divisions of the Godhead and the peculiar works that each part of the Godhead does, we say that the Holy Spirit is the one who is carrying out the activity of God in the world. So biblically speaking, the Holy Spirit is the one that we say is working or is active in the world today. 
Now, just to refresh yourself, uh, refresh you a little rather on this and show you that it's true, I want to read John 14, 16, and this is where Jesus, who is the second person of the Trinity, tells his disciples that he will pray to the Father, who is the first person of the Trinity, and this is what he says, and I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him but ye know him for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you so the holy spirit is the person of the godhead that comes into the world to indwell the believer he's the one that guides us into truth and he is the one that gives us the power Uh, he enables us to live godly lives now previously we've covered these parts of the holy spirit's agency we talked about how that he is the agent in the ministry of creation that it was the holy spirit that god used to do the work of creation we've learned that he is the agency in the ministry of christ that as a man jesus relied on the power of the holy spirit to uh, strengthen him for the ministry that he did and especially in uh, doing the work of the cross he received his strength from the holy spirit We've learned that he is the ministry and the agent or the agent in the ministry of the canon. So that it's through the work of the Holy Spirit that we were given the scriptures. The Spirit inspired the writers of scripture. He gave them the words of God so that everything that we have written in the Bible is inerrant. And the Bible is our faithful guide in all matters of our life because it was written under the instruction of God himself. Well, the place that we left off, and this has been, I think, two or three weeks ago, we left off with the fourth part of the Spirit's agency, and that is he is the agent in the ministry of the Christian. That everything that we do for God from beginning to end is caused by the agency of the Holy Spirit. That there is none of us that works independently of him. And that includes going back to the beginning of our salvation. It was the Holy Spirit that gave us our ability to trust Christ. And then we became the children of God. Now, last time we discussed the Holy Spirit's work in regeneration. That was number one. He works in the, in the believer in regeneration. He regenerates the lost sinner. He gives him the ability to repent of his sins and to trust Christ. The Holy Spirit's work is monergistic, and that means that he is the sole agent that does this. This is not a ministry of cooperation, because at this point, the Holy Spirit raises a person that is dead and trespasses in sin and makes him alive so that he can receive the gospel. So we have these terms, regeneration, the new birth, being born again, all of those are synonymous terms that our description of how the Holy Spirit births a person to life. He brings him to life from his spiritual deadness, and then a person believes. And then the Holy Spirit is the agent in the life of a Christian in his sanctification. Sanctify means to make holy. It means to separate a, a person from the mix of those who are of the world that are sinners, and then to designate this person who has been sanctified as a child of God. And we've discussed how that sanctification has two parts to it. The first part is positional, and that means that the believer is made holy in God's eyes. Positional sanctification is what changes the the moral condition of a sinner to make him a saint. So he has a new position in God. 
Now, he is justified. Justified or justification refers to his legal position with God, and that's what makes him legally righteous. Sanctification is another side of that in which he becomes morally righteous. And so with positional sanctification, the person who believes in Christ is made made perfectly acceptable to God so that there's no sense that he could be any more holy than the point at which he believes. He couldn't be any more holy or any less holy than when he believed. Now this is when the Spirit has redeemed us to God and at that moment that we are sanctified positionally, we are as fit for heaven as we will ever be. And that has to be that way because if you were to die now in a split second, you don't have to have reached a certain level of sanctification in order to go to heaven. No, you are fit to go to heaven right now if you have believed in Jesus Christ. But there's another type of sanctification that perhaps we're more familiar with and we talk about more, and that is the progressive work of salvation. That sanctification is also progressive. And this is the part of it that has to do with the way that you live your life. Now, when we're saved, our whole being has been purchased by God. But, as we all know, we're still living in the flesh. We still have the sinful flesh. Our bodies have not yet been redeemed. The spirit has been redeemed, but the body has not yet been redeemed. And so we're waiting for that part of it in order to have our full redemption. So as we go through this life, we have this constant battle with sin. We aren't fully sanctified in that sense. Uh, The progressive work is still going on. The old nature is still in us, and that old nature is constantly fighting against us to keep us from doing what God would have us to do. And the old nature fights against the new nature trying to take control of the man well the holy spirit is the one that enables us to conquer the flesh and we can't do that on our own if it wasn't for the presence of the holy spirit in us then all of us would be overcome by our old desires so as we defeat the flesh in this daily walk that we have with christ and with god there is a progressive work that takes place and that demonstrates that we are the children of God and that we are holy and every time that we fight one of these battles against Satan and every time that we're fighting our flesh when we win those battles we become stronger in the fight we become sanctified more sanctified in that sense and we're going to talk about the the demonstration of this just a little bit later and we're going to talk about what it means to be indwelled by the Holy Spirit so we have multiple parts of, of this Uh, subject that we're studying and it's going to go on for a little while as we look at how the Holy Spirit works in the life of a believer but what I want to do now is give you a little bit of a supplement to uh, what we talked about in sanctification the last time that we uh, preached on this subject and I want to point out to you the fruits of progressive sanctification now I'm indebted to J.M. Pendleton he was a uh, Baptist preacher in the uh, end of the 19th century and uh, he has a book entitled Christian Doctrines where he discusses progressive sanctification and he gives the fruits of progressive sanctification so let me just explain to you just for a few minutes the fruits or what happens what what shows up in our lives what what does progressive sanctification do to a believer well four things that I want to give you first of all as the spirit sanctifies us we have a deep sense of unworthiness. A deep sense of unworthiness. The Holy Spirit takes away all of our bragging rights. When he's worked in you, 
You're not going to stick your fingers in your vest and puff out your chest and say, look at me, see what a good person I am, see who I am. No, when the Spirit is working in you, you realize how powerless that you are. You realize how helpless that you are. Now, you know that you were helpless in your initial salvation. You couldn't do anything to bring yourself to Christ. That was the Holy Spirit's work in you. But you also realize as a Christian that as you live this daily life, trying to do what Christ would have you to do, that the Holy Spirit is the one who guides you and directs you in that. And you know that you're never good enough to do that on your own. You know it takes his power. You, you don't have the power to stay saved. None of us does. That takes Holy Spirit power to keep us in the grace of God. And we have many examples of that in Scripture where people were sanctified by the Holy Spirit and, and they still had this great sense of unworthiness in their lives. Now I think of the classic examples that we have in Scripture. We have Job. And Job was one who... I guess you would say he was so faithful to God that he became a test case for eternal security. And he answered God and he said to God, I am vile. Job was a saved man, but he felt this sense of unworthiness. I think of Isaiah. Isaiah was that great prophet of the Old Testament who was allowed to look into the throne room of God. And when he was able to see those heavenly things, those holy things, he said, I am undone because I am a man of unclean lips. And that was Isaiah expressing his unworthiness. And then we have the Apostle Paul. What a great man that he was. He was a great logician, probably the greatest preacher that the world has ever seen. And it was the Apostle Paul who said, in my flesh, in me, in my flesh, there dwells no good thing. And so this great man of God still had that sense of unworthiness. And when the Holy Spirit has done his work in you, then you're going to stand back in awe and amazement at this, that God should have anything to do with you. Because we still realize that we are unworthy sinners. The only reason that we're worthy is because of what Christ has done in our lives. And so you feel that in your heart. You sense that, how unworthy you are. And when you feel that, that is the Holy Spirit doing a progressive work in you. Secondly, we also, uh, the fruits of this sanctification, progressive sanctification, is an increasing hatred of sin. An increasing hatred of sin. A few weeks ago, after Brother Dalton had preached the Sunday night sermon, I I got up and I said, I have a burr under my saddle. And I, I was distraught about the news of activities of some of the members of our church. And I wonder how that, I wonder about the salvation of people when they don't have a hatred of sin. I wonder how a person who who has been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ, by that precious blood that Christ shed, how cruelly that he was treated upon the cross, that he gave his life to save us, how can we return that by openly flaunting our sin? Now, I know that all of us are sinners. We admit that. We know that we're sinners, but... And we still have the old human nature. All of us are that way. But I do not understand how that a Christian can, can fall in love with his sin and fall back into the, uh, uh, to the filth of the old nature. I, I don't understand how we could not be ashamed of the sin in our life and how we wouldn't want to turn our backs on that sin and how we could turn our backs on Christ and parade our sins in front of everybody to see. The last thing that I would ever want to do is for people to see my sin. 
Sometimes I sit at home, I have my head in my hands, and I, and I wonder how I could think such terrible thoughts. I am a sinner. And when that happens to me, I, when I let a sin stay in my mind and, and I don't uh, do something about it immediately, I let that, let that sin just fester in my brain, I, I just cringe when that kind of evil creeps into me and I entertain it. But you know how I know that I'm a child of God? I know that I belong to Him because, and I know that I'm a believer because I cannot stand that sin. God doesn't let me stand that sin. So the thing that I want to do is to confess it. I don't want anybody to see it. I don't want anybody to know about it. I surely don't want to brag about those things. So if you find in your life that you can talk and act and live and flaunt and continue in sin, then you need to listen to the words of the author of Hebrews, who is in fact the Holy Spirit, who said, Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. Then thirdly, this fruit of progressive sanctification, a growing interest in the means of grace. A person knows that he has the progressive work of the Holy Spirit going on in him when he has a growing interest in the means of grace. Well, you're probably thinking, what do you mean, means of grace? What's that term mean? Well, it would be things like this. Reading and loving the precious word of God is a means of grace. A sanctified believer loves the Bible. A sanctified believer thrills to have the Holy Spirit open up to him the truths that we find in Scripture. Have you ever had that aha moment when you've been reading the Scriptures and suddenly you understand something that you never understood before? That, that you, you, you're reading the Bible and a passage of Scripture that you've read hundreds of times, all of a sudden it makes sense to you. Have you ever had the moment when you're reading Scripture and suddenly it speaks to you in a very special way? I don't think that everybody has to read the Bible with tears, but have you ever been struck with something in an uncommon way? You're reading the Word of God and your heart begins to pound in your chest and a mist comes into your eyes? That's the Holy Spirit doing a progressive work in you, using the means of grace to reach you. He's sanctifying you. So the Bible is one way that God speaks grace to you. Do you love to read and study God's Word? If you do, that's the Holy Spirit working in you. Prayer is also a means of grace. I find that prayer can actually be one of the hardest things that we have to do, one of the hardest Christian graces to keep up consistently because the devil's always working against us when we pray. Praying is such a... Prayer is such a powerful tool. Satan knows that. And so he tries to snatch our thoughts away from us. And you probably all experience that. You you sit down to pray and you try to concentrate. And right when you're in the middle of those prayers, Satan comes and he takes the thought that you have away. Well, the Holy Spirit sanctifies your prayers. When you're yielded to the Spirit and you let him do your sanctifying work, he increases your desire to communicate with God in prayer. Worship is a means of grace. Coming to God to to bask in the light of his presence, praising him, thanking him continually for the marvelous work of salvation that he's done in you, that comes from the sanctifying work of the Spirit. 
Now, worship, as we all know, is something that we do when we come to church. And if you can miss church and easily forsake the fellowship of God's people, if you don't miss the preaching of the word, if you don't miss the praying of the saints and the singing of the songs, and you absent yourself from worship, then you need to take a look at your life and see just how badly you need to be sanctified. Heaven is a place of worship, and you're going to live in heaven for eternity, so you better get used to it. Start worshiping God. So when the Holy Spirit does this sanctifying work in the heart of a believer, the Christian just strives to learn more about God, to know him more intimately. The Apostle Paul said, I I just want to know him. I, I don't want to know anything but him. He said, I desire the excellency of the knowledge of Christ. And so a sanctified Christian has a, has a growing interest in the means of grace. Then fourthly, a progressive work of sanctification is an increasing love of heavenly things. A love of heavenly things. See, the Christian life is a positive life. There are too many Christians that live negative lives. Now the negative is this, I don't smoke, I don't chew, don't go with the girls that do. The negative Christian is the one who battens down the hatches with all the things that he doesn't do. And so he prides himself that he doesn't go to movies, he doesn't dance, he doesn't drink alcohol, uh, no cigarettes, no long hair, no short dresses. Now those are some things, and that list contains some things, perhaps all of them would be far better off for you not to do and demonstrate some kind of concern for purity in your life. But that negative list is not going to get you where God wants you to be. If you remove all the negatives from your life, what is it that you put in its place? See, the Christian life is not a vacuum. Something has to go into the place of the things that you don't do. So what about the things that you will do? Do you love the things of God? Do you delight in your service to God? Do you have a meek and quiet spirit? Do you pray for other people? Do you pray for people that are struggling with all of their vices? Or are you more content to condemn them and just turn up your nose at everybody that's not as holy as you are? Do you seek those things that are above? Or are you always digging down below, digging beneath to get all the dirt that you can on people? You see, when the Holy Spirit does his sanctifying work, the Christian produces positive fruit that redounds to the glory of God. So if you're that person who's the self-appointed watchdog for holiness, then you better be careful that you're not consumed with great filth rather than great faith. So these are fruits of progressive sanctification, a deep sense of unworthiness, an increasing hatred of sin, a growing interest in the means of grace, and an increasing love of heavenly things. Now let's move on to the next part of this, the Holy Spirit's agency in the life of a believer. And I've already mistakenly given you the answer to this one, but there is also this work. The Holy Spirit is responsible for our glorification. So our regeneration and our sanctification and our glorification, these are all works of the Spirit in the Christian Now, a moment ago, I I spoke about the need for the body to be fully redeemed. Uh, While we're on the earth, uh, sin manifests itself in our body. The old nature has not been removed from us, and so every day we're fighting this battle against the old nature. Paul said in Galatians 5, For the flesh lusteth against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary the one to the other, so that ye cannot do the things that ye would. 
And then he also wrote about his own personal conflict that he had in sanctification. In Romans chapter 7, he said, For the good that I would, I do not, but the evil which I would not, that I do. Now, he's expressing a conflict that takes place in every single Christian. But we have a promise from God that it's not always going to be this way. Now, on several occasions, maybe you remember this, I've preached to you about the tenses of salvation, that in the past we were saved from the penalty of sin. In the present, we are being saved from the power of sin. And then in the future, we will be saved from the presence of sin. And that future tense there, that last one, that is the glorification of a Christian. That's the change that takes place in his body when the corruption of flesh is removed and we're raised and given a new body that's fashioned like that of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul speaks of that in Philippians chapter 3. He said, For our conversation, that's our lives, our manner of life is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things to himself. Now that changing and the fashioning of the body is our glorification. Now, we ought not to think that because this body that we have carries out the activity of sin, that that means that God is not interested in the body. That's what the Greeks thought. They thought that the body was vile, that that the body is a prison that shackles the soul. And the thing that we really need, we have to get rid of this physical body so the spirit can be free to be everything that God wants it to be. Released from the body, never ever to see the body again. And that was actually the main problem that they had with the incarnation of Christ because they simply could not believe that God would ever come in human flesh because they felt that the flesh was inherently evil. But that's not the view that God has of the body. And that's not the way that God told Paul to treat the problem with the body. As you read Paul, you find that he regarded his body as the temple of the Holy Spirit. Now, if you want to know why that you shouldn't do all the things that were in that list that I gave you a moment ago, it's this. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And so he wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? For ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Now, the misunderstanding of the relationship of a Christian to his body and how Christ, how God feels about the body, led to some great misunderstandings. I mentioned, of course, the Greeks and what they thought about it, but you had people in Christian history that were mistaken about the body. Martin Luther would 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 uh, uh, do acts of self-flagellation, beat his body because he thought that would make him closer to God. He couldn't rid his body of sin any other way, he thought, than just beating the body. Well, God doesn't want us to do that. We're not to mutilate our bodies. So I would tell you to be very careful about putting a lot of holes in your body. Your body's not a pincushion. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Now, you might say, well, well how do you know that God has such high regard for the body? Where, where do you come up with that opinion? He promised to glorify it. That's how I know. He promised that he would glorify it. In fact, he sent the Holy Spirit to do something very special in a Christian. I want you to turn your Bibles, if you would, to Ephesians chapter 1. 
And we have uh, this great chapter that speaks of the activity of the entire Godhead in our salvation. And we're told, we learn that God intends to redeem the whole person so that when you get saved, it doesn't mean that God's through with you. God is still working in you. He works to bring you to completion. Now, while you're turning to Ephesians, I'm going to read to you a verse from Philippians where Paul writes there, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it unto the day of Jesus Christ. So God is always going to be working in you from the day you're saved to the day that you live your li- leave this life. He's always working in you. Now, we notice here in Ephesians chapter 1 that Paul speaks about our election in eternity past by the Father. Then he speaks that and says that Christ redeemed us by his blood and he forgave us of our sins. And then he says in verse number 13, "...in whom ye also trusted, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that ye believed..." Now, he's talking about belief in Jesus Christ. After you believe, you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession under the praise of his glory. Now, what's Paul talking to us about there? He says we are sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. The Holy Spirit is the earnest of our inheritance. You ever heard of earnest money? Earnest money is a, is a down payment. It states the intention to pay the final full price of the thing that you choose to buy. And so when God redeemed us, he promised that he was going to buy, purchase all of us, body, soul, and spirit. Now, when you go to the bank and you want to get a loan for a house or whatever, the, the bank says, well, you need to put down some down payment money. And the reason that the bank asks you for that is so you have some investment in it so that you don't just walk away from it. Now, that's what God has done with the Holy Spirit. He he has redeemed or he promises to redeem the body and to show us that he will do it. He gives us the Holy Spirit as a down payment. And that's the earnest pledge that he intends to redeem the whole person. So he saves us in the present always with a view towards the future And that's when he intends to take the whole person into heaven, body and spirit. Well, here's what happens when you die. Your spirit leaves your body. It goes to heaven and your body goes into the grave. So at that point, your redemption is not complete. The body goes into the grave and then it corrupts. But God wants that body. He doesn't want it to stay in the grave, but he doesn't want the body in that shape. Your body's in the grave and it corrupts, it's decaying away. But God doesn't want the body in that shape. I mean, who's going to go dig up dead bodies in the cemetery and prop them up in the parlor? You don't want the body in that shape. God doesn't want the body in that shape. And so he raises the body from the grave and he remakes it into a body that's like the Lord Jesus Christ. Now that happens at the first part of Christ's second coming When he comes, he comes with the shout of the archangel and the trump of God. And when that happens, the bodies of Christians that are in the graves are immediately transformed and given an incorruptible body. And then that body is rejoined with the spirit in heaven so that in heaven you have this whole perfect person. The body and the spirit are there. And you are in a body that's eternally suited for worship and praise and honor of Jesus Christ. 
And so the corruption of this flesh that, that holds us back, that shackles us in the present, the flesh that makes it so difficult for us for, for us to serve God, and, and it's that battle that we're fighting every day that Paul describes, that's gone. Because we're given a perfect body. There is no more struggle. Well, what does the Holy Spirit have to do with all of that? Well, you walk around with the Holy Spirit in you every single day as a promise that God will make that happen. Now, if you're like me, you love your body. God gave you this body. I mean, how can anything this beautiful be discarded? I mean, that's just beyond my imagination. That could happen. So you're, you're, you're not crazy. You're not going to mutilate your body. You love your body. God loves your body. He gave it to you. And God wants that body back. Now, he doesn't want it like it is right now. Sin is in your body now. And so he gave the Holy Spirit as a promise that he would make it perfect. So when we talk about redemption, redemption considers the whole person. Paul said that the whole creation groans waiting for the renewing of the earth. And he also said that we groan waiting for the redemption of our body because that's when we're going to be free from sin. Now that first chapter of Ephesians, that that is really a powerful scripture, a wonderful scripture that shows us how that God works in salvation from the very beginning all the way before the foundation of the world. And it's God who is still working to the very end in eternity future. And the Holy Spirit is that ever-present agent of God that ensures that final preservation and perseverance in our salvation until it's fully complete at the resurrection. Now let me point out to you one concluding aspect of glorification. Uh, I don't have time to read all of these scriptures now, but when you have the time, read 1 Corinthians 15. And there Paul discusses the resurrection and he talks about the change that takes place in our bodies. But let me point out to you something that Paul says in one of these verses in chapter 15. He says that, he's talking about our bodies when they go into the grave. He says it is sown a natural body. That when your body goes into the grave, he says it's sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. So the body that's raised when Christ comes back is a spiritual body. What can that mean? A spirit doesn't have a body, does it? How can a spirit have a body? Well, that's not actually what Paul means. What he means is that this is not a non-material body. No, it does have substance to it, substance to it. But he means it's spiritual in this sense, that it is a body that is consistent with the activity of the Holy Spirit. Now, I could paraphrase this verse in, in 1 Corinthians 15 this way, and maybe it makes it a little bit clearer in its meaning. It is sown a natural body, in other words, it is a body that is subject to all the characteristics and desires of the, of the present age. It's governed by the sinful will. But it is raised a spiritual body. Or in other words, a body that is in completely, completely surrendered to the will of the Holy Spirit and is responsive to Holy Spirit guidance all of the time. So when he says that it's raised a spiritual body, he doesn't mean that it's a non-physical body, but it's a body that's been raised to the degree of perfection that God originally intended. See, when God created Adam, he created him with a perfect body. There was no sin in him. He had a body that didn't deteriorate. There were no cells that were dying. There was no hair that was falling out. There were no pimples, no warts, no cavities, no boogers, none of those things. 
But sin came, and sin ruined all of that. See, Adam's body would have been fit for heaven in that sense. Didn't God say when the creation was finished, it's very good? And that's because God did it right. What he created was perfect in every detail. There was nothing wrong with the material creation. See, God was wise when he created the material. We don't have to get rid of the material to be what God intended. And that is the material body. So when the resurrection comes, the body that we have will be returned to the state that it was in which it was very good. So God will look at us again and he'll say, very good will be glorified, and the Holy Spirit will have full charge of every faculty of our being once again. And when this body is glorified, that's when we'll be able to see God face to face just as Adam could. Now, we can't do that now because of the presence of sin. But what did I tell you glorification is? Glorification is when we are saved from the presence of sin. Folks, that is a great thought. I was just thinking about it. Last night, uh, I was thinking about and praying about that, how great it will be to be delivered from this body of sin. How great it will be, never have to worry about having a wrong thought again, never disappointing God, or as we talked about this morning, grieving the Holy Spirit, never have to be worried about that again, because every faculty will be returned to its perfect state, and we will do the will of God continuously forever and forever with never having to sin again. See, it's great when you know the Holy Spirit. It's great to have him. There's much more to talk about, and we're going to take some more time to talk about this wonderful work that he does. And if he has worked in your life, if you truly know him, if you're truly saved, this work of sanctification is going on. And the people that need to worry about that, that it's not going on, are the ones that I mentioned a moment ago who can just live in sin, can keep on, flaunt their sins, and see no problems with it whatsoever. See, the Bible encourages us to be sure that we know that we're born again. Be sure that we know Christ because there are so many that don't and they think that they're saved. Thank God for the Holy Spirit that he's given. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the time spent in your word tonight and um, we are so thankful that the Holy Spirit lives in us and all of us that are Christians, we, we have experienced this, we know this, we, we have full confidence of our salvation because the Holy Spirit is there leading, guiding, directing, uh, always telling us what we should do and telling us when we have done wrong. That's the leadership of the Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray that every person in Baptist Church would be yielded to your spirit and they would honor and glorify you at all times in their lives. Help us to fight off the devil, to fight this old nature and let the spirit have control. Bless us, Lord. We give you the praise. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California. If you would like further information about our church, please feel free to call us at area code 707-584-7275 or write to us at Berean Baptist Church, 6298 Country Club Drive, Rohnert Park, California, 94928. Additionally, you may visit us on the World Wide Web at www dot bbaptist dot org